Hey everybody, welcome to the Buddha and Brett podcast. Chris is a lawyer, pastor, and nonprofit executive, and Brett is a producer and business owner. This is the third episode of our second series with Chris's brother, Colonel Mario Buddha, who is a U2 pilot. And in this episode, we discuss the concept of staying calm and dealing with pressure. Colonel Buddha illustrates this concept when a frightening and unforeseen event takes place while taking Joan London up in a U2 plane on television. You know, this next podcast, we're talking about the leadership principle of staying calm under pressure. And I don't know about you, Brett. Do you think you do that well naturally? I don't I don't do it well naturally. To put you on the spot, because we didn't talk about this yet, but if, if you don't handle the pressure well, if you don't do well under pressure, what is your response under pressure? Do you have a go-to response or visceral reaction? Yeah. What is it? Uh, well, as an example, in football, uh, my sophomore year and my first game in, in varsity, um, I didn't stay calm under pressure. We called a play and my mind blanked. <laughs> and, uh, and so I ran the wrong play, which cost us a touchdown against our rival school. Well, that's good to know because, again, we all handle yeah. it differently. But if you can recognize that, then you can try to prevent it, work around it, have people help you with it. Uh, I've had to try to keep calm under pressure. I struggle with anger issues. When I feel pressure, it, it gets me pissed off. I get angry. I don't have much of a flight syndrome, which sometimes serves a purpose. I've got the fight syndrome, but that doesn't always work well when it's like not the opportune time to fight. But uh, this idea of staying calm under pressure, uh, it's amazing how it bears out. So we're going to talk to Mario about the situation he had in the TV show with Joan London and then some of his bigger pressurized situations in real life military ops. Uh, but it reminded me, Brett, we were talking off the mic when the, we were turned off about staying calm under pressure, just how oftentimes that it happens uh, out of need because you have to. So quick story. Uh my second son, who Mario is going to reference, uh, is training to be an F-15 pilot, JT. So he's been in the military as a captain in the Air Force. Well, when he was about, uh, I think it was two years old, uh, I was coaching baseball Mount Lebanon. So I was at baseball practice. Cindy's at home with uh, Andrew and JT. And I think Mark was a baby. So JT had to be a little older than two years old. And uh, Andrew, being the in- inventive type, figured out a way. He had a bike with training wheels. So in our backyard, he figured out a way on the side of a hill and with a rock to prop up the bicycle on the training wheels so that the back tire actually didn't didn't spin when you rode the bike. It spun. It didn't it didn't hit the ground. So he created like his own little exercise bicycle. Can you get that picture in your head? Yeah. The training wheels have it propped up. The back wheel's not touched, so you can pedal as hard as you can like an exercise bike, and that back wheel's not touched, so you're not going anywhere. Well, JT is watching this happen, and he gets intrigued, apparently, with the chain going around the sprocket of the bike. And JT goes up, as the story goes, puts his right or his left index finger, I'd have to ask if it's right or left now, I forget, into the chain while it's moving at full speed, which then takes it through the sprocket, around and out the upper end with the tip of his finger missing. Uh, <laughs> it's gone. Uh, now, again, I'm, I'm a baseball practice with my freshman Mount Lebanon baseball team. I'm not home. Cindy's there with a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a six-month-old or a three-month-old. Uh, Andrew's screaming. JT's out there going, my finger's not there. Uh, Long story short, Cindy has to take him to the emergency room. They stop the bleeding. They they say, you know, hey, where's the rest of the fingers? And he went, I look for it. He's, he's two years old. His fingers are so small. It's the top digital part of his finger. It's like, hey, you, how tiny was that? She goes, I couldn't find it anywhere. Well, we can't reattach it if you don't have it, making Cindy feel bad. You're going to have to get down to a children's hand 
specialist in plastic surgery to figure out what to do with this tomorrow at Children's Hospital. Uh, and all this stuff going on, JT's remaining calm under pressure. I think he was in shell shock. I get home from baseball practice. Cindy's not there. I see the neighbor come to my front door, an older woman, holding Mark, who's the baby at the time. I do not stay calm under pressure. I freak out because Cindy, very predictable life at that point. I'd come home from practice, whether it was football, wrestling, baseball. Nine, ten months of the year, I had a sport I was coaching up at the high school. I would get home, dinner would be ready, and I'd play with the kids while Cindy finished up. That was just our traditional routine. When I see the old lady next door holding the baby, no Cindy, no Trevor, no Andrew, I start freaking out. And all of a sudden the door opens and Andrew comes running out to me, crying and bawling his eyes out. And now my ampage on my fear and anxiety level goes up even higher. And as I go to the woman who's holding Mark, I said, what happened? She said, JT had an accident. He had his finger caught in the bike. So I said, where are they? She said, Sinclair Emergency Room. So I go flying up there. Always better late than never. I don't know if that's a true axiom. So I get there as I'm parking. Cindy's coming out of the emergency room. She's got JT in his arms. He's holding his index finger up in the air. It is padded. They wrapped it with so much gauze. It looked like a football in his little tiny hands. I mean, <laughs> that was, there's, and there was still some blood coming through it. Uh, and uh, I see Cindy, and I had gotten my composure by the time I got there. I see Cindy. She just breaks out crying. Uh, it was amazing to me to see how she handled that. She, looking for the kid's finger, looking for her son's finger trying to stop the bleeding, getting them to the hospital, listen to them kind of, they kind of gave her a hard time about not finding his finger, uh, the tip of his finger. Again, I, I can't overemphasize how little that would have been. Uh, but it just, it just struck me that Cindy, who's not in the military and hasn't lived a high intensity life in, in, on purpose, you know, she didn't sh- choose to be a doctor or helicopter pilot or a police person, you know, uh, she maintained her cool under pressure. And then when we kind of had things situated and we knew JT was going to be all right and then the family's back together, she kind of let loose. But I thought, man, what a picture. Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do to stay calm under pressure. Finish the story up too. I have my wife's back. She did a fantastic job handling that pressure. We went down to Children's Hospital the next day. And I'll tell the full, full story on a different podcast episode because there's another learning, teaching uh, moment in there. But the doctor, when we said, well, we couldn't find the finger, the emergency room doctor said, no, he can't reattach. He goes, that finger's so small. He goes, why would you put the kid through a surgery to reattach that? He's like, there's like starfish this age. It'll grow back. And <laughs> he dismissed it. said, come see us in two months. <laughs> put a Band-Aid great. on it. So yeah. anyway, we're going to hear from Mario Stankom under pressure with a TV celebrity in his U2 and then a real-life pressure situation coming right up. All right, so just do a little background. It rained the night before we flew. And uh, rain in, in Northern California in May is kind of odd, but there were some puddles out there. And uh, we have to t- actually, it actually delayed the takeoff because there was some fog from it. So we took off a little bit late. Uh, we taxied out and we went through these puddles. And, you know, you go through a puddle, it splashes water. And when you take off in this airplane, you go from the ground to 10,000 feet in a minute. And somewhere in there, the temperature changes and you cross the freezing level. So, Water turns to ice. That's what's in my head. So we go out. We finally get clearance to take off. And I'm, I'm going to give her the A-ticket ride here. So we uh, we release brakes. It's lightweight airplane. Push the throttle all the way up. Gets to about 65 knots. And the airplane starts flying. I get to about 110. 
and I just the nose just comes up and it's it's a great thing because it's got so much thrust and it's light. We get about 45 degrees nose high. So if you're sitting in a recliner and uh, you put the recliner back, you're probably at 30 degrees. So it's even more than that. It feels like you're laying flat on your back. But uh, <laughs> we get up and I actually have to push the nose over because we were capped at a certain altitude on the, on the departure. So we climb out. Everything's going great. And uh, Joan's reading her script or, or she's trying to, she's going through it a couple of times, trying to get different voice inflections and stuff. And uh, one of the warning horns goes off and in the airplane, they got lights like you would in your car, but you get an oral tone that also says, Hey, look at the lights. So I punch off the horn and I look down and it says main AC out, which is the alternating current generator. So I tell her, oh, we lost the AC generator. At first, she thought I meant the air conditioner. (laughs) (laughs) She was well prepared to be a pilot. (laughs) Remember, we're in that pressure suit. You know, you have to have cooling air in there, else it's going to get warm in a hurry. And you've got to have pressurized air. So the air conditioning going out would be a problem, but this is an electrical problem. So I know what the answer is because I've gone through the simulators and everything, but I pull out the checklist and it says, try resetting it. If you don't reset it, come back and land. So it's like, all right, gosh, you know, we've only been up 20 minutes or something. So I say, okay, Joan, you keep flying the airplane here. <laughs> and I actually, I actually let her fly the airplane and I got on the radio and called down and talked to the supervisor flying who was Brandon, the guy that was, should have been flying with her. And, uh, I said, hey, Brandon, we lost the uh, AC generator, so I'm going to turn around and come back because I wanted to get above 60,000 feet just so she could say she did it. So we talked for a couple of minutes. We break 60,000 feet, and I said, okay, Joan, I have the aircraft. I turned it around. I uh, called down to Oakland Center. I said, hey, we need to go back. I got a malfunction, no assistance required. They okay, the center maintained you know, 35,000 or whatever it is. Well, then I go through the descent checklist. So it's like throttle idle, put the gear down. So I put the gear handle down, eh, 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 the warning horn, which it does when it's in transit, and it doesn't go out. And I look at the indicators, and the main gear indicator shows down and locked. That's a good one, safe. And the tail gear, it shows up. And I'm like, oh, well, I said something. (laughs) And uh, and it's all caught on the tape, right? Say, <laughs> on the oh, TV show. Oh, oh darn! <laughs> and she goes, "What?" And I said, "Oh, I probably shouldn't use that because it wasn't a frantic thing. It was like a crap kind of thing, you know. It's like this is disappointing." So I go, "All right, we got a landing gear indicator. It's probably frozen." I said, "You know, we taxi through the water. The water splashes up on the switch. We climb. It freezes. The switch closed." we get down below freezing level it'll fall out and we'll be good so the airplane has a periscope they turn the periscope but i can't see the tail wheel because the main's there one of the things you learn is if you've got landing gear problems you don't like to cycle the landing gear back and forth because you can compound them like if something's broken and you raise it then it ruptures a hydraulic line or something so i can't see the landing gear using this periscope so i I go through the whole briefing all right if the gear is not down we're going to land and when we land, I'm going to shut down the engine. If we shut down the engine, we're going to lose the ability to talk. So I'm going to tell you what to do now. And I'll give you the command to egress. When egress, the right egress, time. egress. Yeah. So she, but 
here's a nice thing. She prepared the night before. So when, when I was telling this, she goes, oh, yeah, just like what you said. I go, yes, exactly. Preparation. So preparation. And that's that's why I think people are calm is because they're prepared. And they go, all right, this, this is not standard. I didn't sit here and prepare for this situation. But we briefed what to do in an emergency. We have discussed what to do in an emergency. We're going to do just what I discussed if there is an emergency. So we're clear, right? And there's your communication. We're, we were clear on that. So when I call down and tell Brandon, though, that we've got now I'm declaring an emergency because I got an unsafe gear and I've got a, a VIP on board. Well, now everybody on the ground goes absolutely crazy, right? They, uh, they call fire rescue. They tell air traffic control. They call the general. And everybody does their part because everybody's got a checklist and everybody's practiced this before. So we're coming down. I, I'm out about, I don't know, 15, 20 miles. And I'm looking at the outside air temperature gauge and it's hovering right around zero centigrade. I'm like, all right, that wheel is going to show down any second now. And we get down and it gets down to like, you know, four degrees centigrade, five degrees centigrade. And I hear this click, just a click, not a clunk, a click. And I look down. And the lights out and both gear down. And I said, okay, Joan, it's all good, but here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do a low pass. We're gonna let Brandon look at the tail gear, make sure it's good, and then we'll come back around and land. And so we came down, I flew over the runway at 10 feet, went, I don't know, maybe a couple thousand feet down the runway while he's he's racing behind in the, the Camaro with a guy with a camera sitting in the front seat. <laughs> and uh, and he's talking to me talking to me and I'm, I'm doing 90 knots so he was probably doing about 120 when he got on the runway and then he had to slow down because he's overtaking the airplane he goes yes you're all both landing gear appear to be down locked i said okay thanks push the power in come around land so so you know it all worked out <laughs> Mary, Mar- talk about so you said it instead of having the tricycle gear the u2's got the bicycle gear just got one main in front and one little nine inch diameter in the back Right, and it's the wingspan on that one. Was that the over hundred, or is that the eighty-seven feet wingspan? No, that's one hundred and four foot. So how how do you land that without tipping over? Like, oh, how do you come to a stop? You don't just. It's not like you don't balance on those two wheels. If you do a bicycle without a kickstand, you fall over. Do you end up on a wing every time? For ground handling, the airplane has these. I'll, I'll use the term disposable wheels. They're called pogos. They uh they sit out. The outboard six feet of each wing folds. They actually did tests to get the airplane on an aircraft carrier back in the 60s. Oh my so they, gosh. They, you can actually you can actually fold it. Yeah, they they didn't need to use the catapult to launch it either. But right inboard of the fold, there's this uh hole that has a clutch assembly with ball bearings in it. And the pogo sits in there. And they stick the pogo in, the ball bearings collapse around the stem on the pogo. And so the pogo can free wheel 360. And then when they jam it in there, a little uh, pin comes down. They can stick a safety, we call it a safety pin. It's like a big cotter key into this thing. So it doesn't fall out when you're on the ground. So you taxi out to the runway and they pull those cotter pins out. And then the pin retracts. And the only thing holding the wheels in is the weight of the wing. The wings start developing lift almost immediately, probably 25, 30 miles an hour. They, they start to develop lift. So by the time you're doing 50, the wings are flexing. And 
as they flex up, they're making lift, they want to fly, they flex up before the fuselage leaves the ground, those pogos fall out. And you take off, and there's a crew comes out in a pickup truck, and then the guy in the Camaro, or I, they're using another high-performance car now, not the Camaros, because those are all played out. Uh, well, they we beat the heck out of them. Uh, <laughs> they pick up the pogos, they make sure there's no junk laying on the runway, they get off the runway, next guy comes in. When you come back to land at the wingtips, there's a titanium strip. It's a 18 inch hunk of titanium that they put on the underside of both wingtips. And when you come in, because you are developing lift until you get to about 25 or 30 miles an hour, you can actually keep the wings off the runway. But then as you come to a stop, it'll hit the ground and you drag it on that skid until you stop. And then the ground crew comes out. And what they're supposed to do is jump on the high wing because it's maybe seven feet in the air. So they get the biggest guy they have. He holds onto that wing and pulls it down. And then they get under the other one and stick the pogo in. And then he can let go. And the pogo's held in there by the weight of the wing. The nice thing is I flew them. I flew these airplanes over in the Middle East. And the wind blew all the time. And it was right down the runway, which is very important. But you could land the airplane there, and because you had 20 knots of wind, I could balance the thing without the kickstand. I could just sit there, and you'd have to keep working the yoke while you were standing still, but you could, get it to, you could keep the wings level. Check in next week as we continue to discuss this concept of staying calm and dealing with pressure with Colonel Mario Buda. This podcast is recorded and produced by me, Brett Hammond, at www.bhammond.com.